1: Time for your favorite show, The Weekend Report is on the radio.
2: Thank you, Perry Woods, and yes, indeed, you are listening to The Weekend Report on 97.1 FM Talk. Tony Colombo here in studio with producer Frank Ladd, and once again joining us connected through the marvel of modern technology, my partner who helped me out tremendously this week on The Dave Glover Show, we're, we've seen a lot of each other this week, Chris, and I really appreciate it. Chris Arps, how are you, my friend?
3: I'm doing good, Tony, and just like I told you in the studio, you know, I haven't seen you in four months. You've aged very well in four months, my friend, very well.
4: <laughs> well, back
2: at you, buddy.
3: Back I think I
4: think Chris has more gray hair than he had before.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Chris has hair? What are we talking about here? <laughs> that beautiful beard I have. Yes, yes, it is, it is. You're a, you're a striking, striking young man, Chris Arps. <laughs> So uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. We've got a great show on tap for you as well. A little bit later on, we're going to be talking to Chris Wilson. He is a pollster, and we talked about this on the Dave Glover Show a little bit as well. I'm really looking forward to this conversation, Chris, and it's something that we can actually talk about before uh, we talk to Chris Wilson, um, because polls are such a big deal in the news, especially right now and as it is any time there's an election upcoming. You know, somebody releases a poll and that's headlines. And I know that you and I can't wait to talk to uh, Chris um, have some issues with the way that a lot of polling is done and a lot of the way that this news is reported. So uh, let's let's preview the discussion we're going to have with with Chris in a little bit. And what are your thoughts and what are you uh, looking forward to uh, getting to the bottom of when we talk to Chris Wilson as far as the truth behind these polls are concerned?
3: Well, one of the things that I want to talk to Chris about, and the president mentioned it in one of his press conferences uh, earlier this week, was the sampling that's occurring in some of these polls. And many of these polls, it's showing a very low Republican sampling of 22 to 25 percent of the electorate. And I, I just don't feel that that is correct. And in this age where a poll came out uh, the other day where the Cato Institute said that 62% of Americans are afraid to express their political beliefs. I'm just a little suspect of how accurate are these polls, mm-hmm. uh, really. And so I'm looking forward to talking to Chris. Um, he's one of the preeminent posters in the country. He was Ted Cruz's, uh, poster He's been around a long time. He's been a friend of mine for years. And uh, he leans Republican, but his polls are accurate. And so I think that we can get a real good, uh, accurate telling of really what's going on in the country when we talk to Chris.
2: Didn't 2016 really open everybody's eyes to what you're talking about? Like, I feel like after that election and so many, not just on the presidential level, but across the board, but but obviously most glaring with the presidency, Polls were just so wrong um, and they just seemed like they couldn't be trusted. And ever since that election four years ago, I feel like at least in at least personally and with people that I talk to all the time, the they, news organizations still use them as headlines. But I just don't take them very seriously at all.
3: Well, polling has two problems. One is what I just said previously, is that you have a samples, a, yeah. a a person that who supports President Trump, but will never tell a pollster. Right. And then you have where traditionally polling is done by calling someone's landline. And most people have gotten rid of their landlines and and have cell phones. So you're not reaching a whole lot of people, especially the uh, millennial generation.
2: And do you believe that I've always heard and I actually think that there's some uh, credence to this, that uh, if you are a conservative, just your the conservative mindset is one that is no matter what, like it doesn't have to do with like the person calling or anything like that. But conservatives just don't like to, you know, give information about themselves out. So it's it's even harder to get conservatives to participate in polls because they're just less likely
3: to do so. Is that do you do you find that to be true or not? I think that's definitely true. You know, that goes back to that Cato Institute poll that said, you know, 62% of Americans are afraid to uh, Mm -hmm. give their political opinions. Uh, It was the exact opposite when it came to people that identified as liberals. It was 58% of them were very comfortable expressing their political beliefs without any uh, retaliation. So I I think in this age of doxing, in this age of people losing their jobs because of what they post uh, in their own time on their private Facebook page, um, I think in that climate, People are very afraid to express their support for President Trump.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to this discussion with Chris. I also want to get to um, with him what the, the different organizations, because I know some people may think like, oh, if it's a if it's a poll from Fox News, then it's going to have a conservative lean. If it's a poll from The Washington Post, then it's going to have a liberal lean. But. At least, what I've noticed is it does that does not necessarily line up the way that you think it will. And I know the president, and and I'm not saying that he's right because he says a lot of you know boisterous things. Especially if a poll comes out or some report comes out that is against him, you know he's going to take it out on the whole organization. But I remember uh, in that uh, interview he did with Chris Wallace about a week ago, uh, President Trump said that he thought that Fox was among the worst when it came to polling. When I think a lot of people just. Um, You know, that uh, just looking at it on the surface would think, oh, if it's a Fox poll, it's going to be a Republican, a, you know, a conservative poll. And that's not always necessarily the case.
3: Look, I think uh, President Trump is one of these guys who, you know, a football coach kind of works the referee on the sideline. And you know how the basketball coach on the bench kind of works the referee. I think that's what Trump is doing, is doing to Fox News, to try to work them like a, like a coach tries to work a right. ref so that he can get more uh, favorable coverage. Or, you know, he keeps on saying polls. that about Fox.
2: Like, he keeps saying, like, I'm disappointed in Fox. Fox isn't what he used yeah. to be since Roger Ailes is gone. But he keeps going on Fox. Yeah, he's, he's working. Them. He keeps doing interviews. He keeps giving interviews to Chris Wallace and Harris Faulkner and others on the station. So as much as he says he doesn't like Fox anymore or trust Fox anymore, he sure spends a lot of time on that network.
3: Yeah, he's working them like yeah, a ref. That's
2: a great point. That is such a great point. We're also today going to, a little bit later on uh, this hour, I believe, we're going to talk to Sandra McDowell. She's been on the show before. Last time we talked to Sandra, she was running for uh, state auditor in 2016. She is now attempting to primary Governor Mike Parson in the, the Republican race for governor. Um, a lot of people, you know, think that uh, the governor has not only a, a very strong chance to win the primary, of course, but that he has a very strong possibility of, of winning the uh, 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 his his office back. Um, what do you think of what do you think of Sandra McDowell's uh, attempt to primary Governor Parson and what do you think the motivation behind it is?
3: Well, I can't get into anyone's head, so I don't know exactly uh, what her motivation is. You know, I I first met Sandra at the state auditors debate. I did a report for the weekend report. If yeah, you remember Tony? I do. And I, I remember you being very impressed. The, I interviewed each of the candidates, and I was honest at that time. I was like, you know what? I don't give her a snowball's chance in winning. But she's very hardworking. She goes out there. And, you know I mean, she surprising yeah. surprisingly she won yeah and uh, she was later beat by uh Nicole Galloway right so a lot of people are questioning why would she run for governor against uh if she's a- if she's able to defeat Mike Parson why would she want to run against Galloway when galloway to- Beat her four years ago, so right. that's maybe one question that'll that I'll ask her: what uh, What is her motivation uh, for doing this?
2: You've been in politics a long time, particularly on the campaign side, running campaigns for people. And I've heard over the years, like when it comes to, like Bernie Sanders is a perfect example uh, that he doesn't really want or expect to win, but he's running because he wants to further his agenda. And so he's using an election that that he knows he's going to lose, just as a way to get on TV and get um, attention to the issues that he wants to push. Do 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 candidates really do that? Because I've always thought that that is stupid. Like, I, if you're going to run for an office. You should be running because you want to win. Even if you know you're, even if you know you're a long shot, even if you know you probably won't win, you still—that's still the ultimate goal—is to win. You want to win. You think that you are the best person for that job to be in that seat. So I've always thought that's silly. But just because it's silly doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Does it? Do people run knowing they're not going to win, but they have other uh, motivation uh, or incentives to do so?
3: Well, Tony, just like a clock can be right twice a day, you're right in this instance. Um, I don't (laughs) think anyone... I I don't think anyone runs just so they can try to set themselves up for, for a better job or for a later office. I think the main reason is you've heard people
2: say that, though, right? Like people say that all the time. Like, oh, they know they're not going to win. They're just running because they want to have a seat at the table. Well,
3: here, and I, I think that's partly true in this case. I think when people start out. They really do believe that they're going to win and they're running hard to win. But I think when it gets to a point where it looks like they're not going to win, like in a presidential primary and they're still in the race. And you're wondering why. I think they are doing that to try to heighten their profile uh, for for a future race or a later race. But I don't think they start out like that. Politics is a, is a people business where you're asking for people's vote and you're you're meeting with them and if you really don't have that passion to really want the office and it's just a stepping stone i think people sense that and uh yeah you all win people have a, a sixth sense for well for and how much
2: does the losing politician. and i'm not talking about uh, Sandra anymore i'm just talking about in ge- politics and campaigns in general how much does the losing stick to somebody like i understand the idea of if you run for a high-profile office and you you lose but you still got on TV a whole bunch, you got on the radio a whole bunch, you, you upped your name recognition, people know who you are, and there's a ton of value in that. But once you lose two or three elections and now everybody knows who you are, sure, and they may want to talk to you more often, but I think it also takes away – I don't think anybody believes in you as a candidate anymore – Because, you know, the losing kind of gets all over you. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah,
3: losing sticks with you when you become what's known as a perennial loser. (laughs) You know, people give you a loss or two. But when it starts getting into three and four, um, that's when you should really look for another career or go into another aspect of politics. And that's what Senator Talon was facing in a lot of his races. Um, You know, he was very successful as a young congressman. He won the Senate seat. And then he, you know, was wondering, you know, if he kept running for these other seats, would he lose with that damage his, uh, his political career? And he's never told me that. But I mean, if you yeah. are a political person and look at the, the tea leaves, you, you can see that's what was his thinking in that. So, yeah, you, you don't want to be known as a perennial loser. If you have one or two, that's fine. But the perennial loser. Um, the main thing is you're not going to get anybody to fund your campaign, right? If you're known as a perennial yeah. loser, yeah.
2: And the voters don't take you seriously because yeah. they just know that uh, you know that you don't that you don't win. You're in these elections, but you don't win, and that's what people think of you at some point. So good broken
3: clock moment
2: uh, there, Tony. <laughs> thank you. Like you said, right, a broken clock right twice a day. So every now and then I stumble on a.
3: And you stumble on it, point.
2: yeah, like a squirrel <laughs>
3: with a blind look finds a blind, a blind squirrel finds a
2: nut. Yeah, exactly. So we are going to talk to pollster Chris Wilson. We're going to talk to Sandra McDowell about her campaign against Governor Parson for uh, the Republican nomination for governor, and we've got lots of stories, a lot more stories, and other, of course, uh, action-packed week. Of of headlines and stories to talk about so we will get to all of it as we go through the show today. I want to remind you about our podcast. If you miss anything today or you want to hear it again you can download our podcast. Just about anywhere you get podcasts but the Radio.com app is my preferred place because it's basically one-stop shopping for the whole station. You can download the app and then just favorite 97.1 FM Talk and then you can stream the station 24 7. You can rewind live radio with the Radio Rewind feature and you can, of course, download the podcast of this and every other show. And again, it is all absolutely free. So if you miss anything, you can catch it right there on the podcast. Also, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at tonycolombo 971 And don't forget about Chris's articles on RedState.com. We'll get into some of those as we go on. Go ahead. You want to do a little tease? Oh,
3: and my podcast, Water Cooler Politics with Chris Arp. Oh, yeah, the podcast I've never been thing. on that one yeah, well which you know, i just started I only got three <laughs> episodes Tony, and my first two my, my second and third episodes are an exclusive interview with dr Stel- shelby Steele. very
2: good we will talk about uh that podcast and some of those articles and some of the big stories of the week when we get back don't go anywhere you're listening to the weekend report on 97.1 fm talk call from mom answer it Welcome back to The Weekend Report, 97.1 FM Talk. Tony Colombo here in studio with producer Frank Ladd and my partner Chris Arps, once again connected through the marvel of modern technology at the Arps Compound, as we mentioned here. In just a few minutes, we are going to be talking to Sondra McDowell, who is running for governor, attempting to primary Governor Mike Parson in the uh, Republican primary here in a couple of weeks. And, you know, I used to think that... Attempting to uh, primary a sitting incumbent at a at in a high level. I don't know about I don't know about lower elections, but it, you know, high profile elections. It almost never happens. But then I guess now it kind of does happen. Sometimes we saw AOC do it. Uh, we saw um, in New York, another one. Uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but another one there in New York just happened um, a, a couple of weeks ago. What are your thoughts as a campaign guy, Chris? Um would you ever? Would you ever want to run the campaign of somebody that is attempting to um, uh, uh, primary a very popular sitting incumbent?
3: Well, and that's the operative word there, popular. If the person is not a very popular candidate and public sentiment seems to have turned against them, sure, I'd run a campaign. That uh, with primary an unpopular candidate, Tony, I think you can come a little closer back to home. If you remember, State Auditor Claire McCaskill challenged Governor Bob uh, Holden yeah. in the Missouri primary and uh, beat him, and uh, went against uh, 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 Matt Blunt for mm-hmm. the governor's race. So, yeah. so maybe uh, it's not it's, as it's rare it's as been I done. And, and yeah. Bob Holden was was was. Was seen as kind of a weak candidate, yeah, and uh, he was. He lost in the primary.
2: So maybe it's not as rare of a thing as I, if I, as
3: I usually well, it is, think it is. It is rare. I mean, it is rare, especially for someone to win. But uh, you know, you always have. And I'm not saying Sondra McDowell is a fringe candidate, but in any race, you're always going to have you know fringe candidates, right. two, three people that are running against the incumbent. In general, but, how
2: uh, how big of an advantage does a sitting? Does the incumbent have in any in any election at any level like is that is that an automatic built in advantage?
3: It is an automatic built in advantage because you can do photo ops and press conferences and and announce initiatives that can make you look at like a strong, decisive um, leader. And you get all of the media attention. While if you're an opponent, you don't get as much. So. Uh, but one thing that takes a little bit away from that is that uh, you know, Governor Parson is not an elected governor and is appointed uh, or not appointed, but uh yeah, you know, right. took took over as governor. So a lot of that sheen or luster is not there as it would be for a Yeah, he a didn't governor win Yeah, elected. he
2: didn't win he didn't win the seats. He didn't win that position. He's been in it almost the entire
3: uh, what would have been
2: it, Greitens' uh, entire term? It seems like uh, uh, Parson has been there for this entire time. But you're right; he didn't. He didn't win the election, and this is the one and only time that he can run for governor. Um, but I think, like you just mentioned, and we talked about, I think he does have. Well, he could that. run
3: again. He could. He could run this term, and he's the governor said he's not going to run for re-election if he wins. But he, if he could win this term, and uh, he could run again. He could. Yes. Because he's fulfilling Greitens' term, That's I got
2: We need to put our people on that. I didn't. No, seriously,
3: Stone. He, he's he's fulfilling Greitens' term. That's not. Yeah, his term. I he didn't win that. I, so I know he could he could run outright. For, I still for thought that that counted against again. his.
2: I still thought that that like counted like like you know like college el- uh-huh. eligibility. Like I thought you could only serve so many years, no matter how you got there. I thought you could only serve so many years, and he would not be able to run for re-election. I thought this was the one and only time. No, I think fine. I'm going to argue with you on this one. Okay, we'll have to check. I would n- I normally would Are never. Have a, I would normally uh, never don't, challenge don't, you. Don't
3: have a broken clock moment twice. I know. In one
2: day. I would normally never Can challenge you that? in this arena, but I think I'm right on this one. I, I don't our, think so, Tony. We'll have to. Uh, we'll put our we'll put our best people on it, and we Is we don't have Frank? very. That's Frank. Okay. <laughs> That's right. We'll have, to, we'll have to put him on it and, uh, and get to the bottom of this. A uh, lot of other issues to dive into this week. One thing that we didn't um, that didn't get as much news as I think it would have normally. I'd like to get your thoughts on our senator Josh Hawley introduced this week something that he calls the Slave Free Business Certification Act, which would increase corporate. Uh, supply chain disclosure requirements mandates uh, which it would mandate regular audits it would require chief executive officers to certify that their company's supply chains do not rely on forced slave labor and it creates penalties for firms that that fail basic minimum standards for human rights basically what all that means is you would not be allowed as a company as an American company to take advantage of the 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 slave labor quote unquote offered in places like China uh, without being penalized for it in an attempt to say you know you we, you got to have you got to stop having iPhones made for 10 cents in in China um and it's we got to bring that uh we got to bring that business back over here and um and there will be penalties in place if you don't do so. What do you think of the senator's plan?
3: Well, I think it's a very aggressive plan. I think in the macro, it's good that this applies to all companies that may be exploiting Chinese labor yeah. using slave labor. But I think this is another round in the, in his fight against the NBA's hypocrisy towards yeah,
2: that's China true. where yeah.
3: they will are quiet when it comes to the human rights abuses because they have a billion person market. So I think it's really just another salvo in that fight uh, with the NBA.
2: Yeah, when you when you hear all that and you read it, it's hard to argue with. But it's a lot more complicated. A lot more complicated than than what it what it reads, you know? I mean, like you can say there's penalties in place, but i i know business owners that have products made in china that have told me look i would pay the premium i would pay more to have stuff made here in the united states but i don't it's not even it's not even offered it's not even the, the fact that it's more expensive i can't even get it done so yeah. if you can't i mean already obviously china has that built-in cost advantage which is a bunch of crap but it's it's reality and and in some cases it's not even it's not even just they can do it a lot cheaper it's you can't get it here and so you got to put all of that infrastructure here into the united states to make this happen i mean i'm all for it it's it's like i said it's hard to argue with but it's 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 very complicated
3: I think it can happen, but it's not something that's going to be overnight. It's going to take years to build that infrastructure back up. It's going to take years to wean people off of cheap goods. Uh, Americans yeah. love cheap goods. It's yeah. made Walmart billionaires, and, bu- and business owners so. love
2: it too because they can get their products. You know, they can get a more profit off their products if they can get it made for ne- next to nothing.
3: Exactly. So you mentioned, uh, I think ahead. it can be done.
2: No, I was going to say, you mentioned the NBA, Jason Whitlock, um, very famous uh, sports broadcaster, um, said that the NBA said this week, sort of an attached story to this Josh Hawley situation. He said that the NBA doesn't care about the United States audience and that they are singularly focused on revenue available in China. What do you think of that statement? You think Jason Whitlock is right?
3: I think he is right. I think the... Uh, NBA is becoming more and more of an African-American um, league. Uh, I think, I don't know what the, the TV audience is, but I would guess that it's uh, more African-American. Um, I don't, it, 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 there is a lot of money within that market, but it's not a growing market. And so I think they're looking for their next uh, revenue golden egg uh, is the Chinese in that market. I, think I don't so. think they see a lot. Of, I don't think they see a lot of growth here in the United States.
2: We'll we'll get into this. Uh, um, we'll get into this more in a little bit. But I just think that sports in general is just they are just right now. There's a lot of just a, a lot of bad. There's a lot of bad stories. A lot of uh, uh, demotivating stories coming out when it yeah. comes to uh, professional sports in the United States. And at some point, it's got to catch up with them. Don't you think?
3: Well, I think it's going to catch up. We talked about it on the Dave Glover show on Thursday. I think it's going to catch up with them when the American public uh, tunes off uh, games and doesn't attend games and it starts hurting the bottom line, which is the dollar. Once that start happens, I think you'll start seeing uh politics being taken out of sports the athletes will realize that uh i won't get my hundred million dollar contract extension because the money's not there because the fans have soured on the league so it's going to take that for this to really change but until then um the players believe that they have the up the upper hand
2: yeah got a few minutes left here as we kind of working through. Some of the big headlines of the week and our little weekend review segment uh, coming up in a few minutes. We're going to talk to pollster Chris Wilson and we are going to talk to Sandra McDowell about her uh, attempting to primary Governor Mike Parson. Frank is back in the room. Frank, um, I need we. Chris and I had an argument while you stepped out. Um, <laughs> Probably I, a fiery one. I don't think that Mike Parson is able to run for governor again. I think this is his one and only time that he can do it because of taking uh, these years uh, that was Greitens, and Chris thinks that I'm wrong. Um, Would you please research that and get back to us whenever you're able to? Um, Trump, uh, another one, another story from the week, Chris, before we take this break. Uh, Trump rolled out his Operation Legend. We talked about it a little bit on the Dave Glover show. It's uh, had a couple days now to sort of sink in the basics of it are that uh, he is making available $61 million in federal grants for cities to hire uh, police officers, particularly these cities across the country that are seeing the, these huge spikes in crime numbers. Uh, it also sends federal law enforcement agents to some of these cities. And, of course, that's created um, a lot of controversy. What do you think of Trump's Operation Legend? you think it's... Um, you think it's the right move or the wrong move?
3: Before I answer that, I want to give you an example. Mm -hmm. Um, LBJ became president after JFK was assassinated. He won the presidency outright in 64, and he was going to run in 68 but changed his mind because the uh, Vietnam War uh, was going poorly for him. It's the same on the state. If you are—you can finish some of your predecessor's term and you can run for two terms uh, I'll write um, well, for yourself. All right. Stop proving yourself right. All right. Second, <laughs> uh, Legend, I, I agree you
2: with win. Operation You win.
3: I, I agree with Operation Legend. Look, these cities are out of control just here in St. Louis. I think we're up 30 murders from the, the, the year before. We have a prosecutor that doesn't believe in bail. We have a prosecutor that lets uh, looters and rioters out the next day. Um, she is not about law enforcement. Um, the president's first responsibility is to keep the American people safe from domestic and foreign threats. And the domestic threat right now is the thugs and the criminals that are on the street. So I, I think he's doing the the right thing. Of course it's it's political. Part of his campaign uh, theme is law and order, but I think he's doing it for the right reasons.
2: Very good. And Frank, What'd you come up with? Well, I think you're
4: wrong. Who? Not you. Yes! No way. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 22nd Amendment which was finally ratified and revised Last week. in yeah. It says <laughs> It says according to for 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 the president. Here's the key portion. No person shall be elected to the office of president more than twice, and no yeah, person he's say who has is held Governor. the office of president or acted as president for more than two years of a term in which some other person was elected shall be elected to the office more than once. Yeah. Yeah, See? but that's an issue that's there the presidency. That's the presidency, presidency. Now, that's the presidency according though, not to the, Missouri governor. According to the Missouri governor's website, here we go, which uh, which I had up here just moments ago. Here we go. According to Mo.gov, Come on. the governor is elected to a four-year term during the same year as a presidential election and may seek re-election to a second four-year term. Sure. No person may hold the office for more than two terms. Right. That's all it says. Oh. So that one... Is sort of up in the air, but sort technically he's air. holding a term right his, now. But it's
2: not his term. It doesn't Brighton's matter term. if it's I... his
4: term or not. It says terms. All right, we're going to continue. We're going to continue. LBJ
3: ran for 68, though. Does that mean that Kennedy died within the first year? Or was that the first year of office? That amendment,
4: Kennedy? I think, was was ratified after uh, the 1960s. It was ratified in 1992. Okay. Yeah,
3: cause, cause so because that, saying, that, that right, could change for it. LBJ so, it's 20 plus
2: years later, though. All right. We're going to get to the bottom of this, but we got to take a break. And when we get I'm back. Right. You're probably right, but I yeah. I think I'm back right. Back in the 60s, he I, was. Very, <laughs> like I said, normally I wouldn't argue with Chris in the Serena, but I, I feel like I'm right. 10 on seconds, this one. Tony. I know. We're taking a break. Don't go anywhere. We're going to talk to Sandra McDonald when we get back on the Weekend Report 97.1 FM Talk. <laughs>
1: I'm sitting in a tree seat, in the breeze. I'm looking at the blue sky, smiling. and so sweet. My pretty little angel, my pretty
2: little queen,
1: pretty little girl. And welcome
2: back to The Weekend Report, 97.1 FM Talk. Tony Colombo here in studio with producer Frank Ladd and my partner Chris Harps is connected as we practice proper social distancing, he is at the ARPS Compound. And as I mentioned, now joining us on the phone uh, back on the show once again is Sandra McDowell. Sandra is running for Missouri governor, attempting to primary Governor Mike Parson. And it's great to have her back on the show. Sandra, thanks for your time today. How are you? Oh, it's my
0: pleasure. I'm doing well. How are you
2: guys doing? Doing good. Doing good. Great to talk with you. Um, obvious first question. I'm the. I'm sure the same question you've been getting over and over for months. Uh, what's the uh, what's the motivation? What was uh, you, what made the decision for you to decide to attempt to uh, primary Governor Mike Parson uh, and try to take this uh, Republican nomination um, for Missouri Governor?
0: Sure. Well, you know, I um, I ran for auditor. I was the GOP nominee for state auditor, so mm-hmm. I was all over the state talking with the people and hearing their problems, their concerns, you know, in 18. And things have gotten much worse since 18 here in the state of Missouri, obviously COVID. But there's a lot of other things that have happened since 18. You know, we've got uh, three of our major cities now on certain polls showing that they're uh, part of the top 10 most dangerous places to live. The crime is just uh, outrageous here in the state of Missouri. But but we're seeing our constitutional rights just trampled on with COVID and, and a lot of other things that I believe the governor has done. And Um, and I was following along, you know, in 19 and the beginning of this year, and I just was very concerned with the things that our Republican governor has been doing because I believe they're wholly Democrat things that he's been doing, and I was kind of waiting to see if someone else was going to step up and challenge him, and nobody did. I think people were concerned about fundraising, but, you know, I saw that from a human perspective, but honestly, my my reason for running is because I, I felt a calling to do this. The Lord uh, put it on my heart that i was supposed to run for governor and i am a very obedient christian and so i i made the decision to to challenge him and everything has been going really well every you know when you challenge an incumbent uh incumbent governor also you would think that you'd have a lot more pushback you would think that even you know republican people across the state would uh would not be as open to that but i have been overwhelmed with the amount of support that i've received this year because the people of missouri are not happy with Governor Parson in a lot of different ways, and so they're looking for someone else.
3: Go ahead, Chris. Sandra, thank you for being on this show. I had the pleasure and honor of meeting you at the auditor's uh, uh, debate, uh, debate mm-hmm. uh, during the campaign, and I told you then I didn't give you much of a chance of winning, and you pulled it out, and I was very impressed by your win. Um, your opponent that year was the current state auditor, Nicole Galloway. I know this is probably a question that you've gotten a lot on the campaign trail, but critics will say that you lost to Nicole Galloway in 2018. Um, what makes you think that you could beat her in a governor's race in 2020?
0: Sure. Well, nice to talk to you again, Chris. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've gotten that question before as well, and so my my simple answer is that there was nothing that I did wrong in '18. You know, I did everything I could. I worked, I worked my tail off all around the state. I, uh, I had the people's support, but the GOP was not supporting me. The, uh, the executive director, after I won the primary told me that they were not expecting me to win, that they actually thought David Wassinger would win, but they knew he couldn't beat Galloway. and they were okay with that because they wanted Galloway to win the auditor race because then she would run for, for, for governor in 2020. and they have enough dirt on her that they knew they could beat her in 2020. So they wanted they wanted her to win that race. And so later after I lost the general, I had a lot of people tell me, well you know they were making calls specifically people like David Marktledge, who is Parsons consultant, was making calls to voters and donors telling them not to donate to me, not to vote for me, because they want to keep the governor's office. And so that happened in 18. and now this is the governor's race. And so they can't do that again. So it is not any of the people's fault. It is not my fault. This was on the part of the GOP because they had a plan. And if you know politics, like I know you guys do, there's always a plan. And so they knew that if, if Galloway were to lose the auditor race, then someone like McCaskill or Kander or someone else would step up to run for governor. And I don't think they thought they could beat them as easily.
2: Talking to Sandra McDowell, who is running for governor here in Missouri. You mentioned, Sandra uh, that part of the motivation to run is the way that Mike Parson has uh, executed his uh, his duties as governor. Um you you said that uh, some of the his actions ha- were more like a a liberal Democrat. Could you point out some of the examples of what the governor has done in his term or since taking over for for uh, Eric Greitens that you feel um, is is not good for the state and not good for a, uh, a Republican? Yeah,
0: there's so many.
2: Sondra McDowell, we got a couple minutes left. Go ahead, Chris.
3: Sondra, the governor has called a special session regarding all of the crime in St. Louis and Kansas City. Uh, One, would you have called a special session uh, for this issue? And two, what uh, would you do as governor to uh, address the uh, crime? So
0: I I think that it's way too late at this point he had the chance to call a special session last year as well they were asking him to do it and he said it could wait and obviously it couldn't wait look at everything we've had happen now this year um, and so at this point um yeah we have to do something but but that does not mean limiting our gun rights and i have high concerns that that's going to what they're going to be talking about uh and, and and that is not what needs to have happened. there are a lot of solutions that that i know that we can do in st louis and kansas city and springfield and, and columbia and Uh, Joplin are all getting worse as well. So there needs to be some major reform there with with our crime and violence. But what I would have done early on uh, this year with the riots, you know, I would have shut that stuff down immediately. And that's what you have to do. You know, when when you allow these riots and Black Lives Matter and Antifa and, and the gangs in St. Louis and Kansas City to continue that violence and continue that destruction, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And so early on, Uh, I would have had uh, National Guard go in with our law enforcement to support them and, and to shut those riots down because, you know, peaceful protests, I'm all for that. That's our constitutional right to protest. But the minute it gets violent and there's a destruction of property, we have to shut that down. Um, South Dakota governor, she's doing an amazing job. I've been following her since last year. And, you know, she did not shut her state down during COVID. Um, She was having a parade outside of her house, and Governor Parson had protests outside his. Uh, But also she went in with National Guard immediately when they started rioting in South Dakota. And she took care of that, and they haven't had issues since. You know, with the monuments as well, they were talking about defacing the uh, Mount Rushmore. And I could literally see her standing out there with an AR herself saying, you don't, you're not going to touch Mount Rushmore. You know, you've got to be a yeah. leader. Sandra, and you say, and you, I'm sorry to,
2: yeah. sorry to cut you off, but we are up against the dreaded hard break. And I wanted to give you a chance <laughs> before we ran out of time. If people want to learn more about your campaign, get involved. How can they follow you? Social media, websites, all that good stuff.
0: Yeah, of course. So my, my website is com. so my platform is on there. You can see anything from what I plan to do with the economy all the way to combating human trafficking. Um, my Facebook is mcdowellforgovernor. Follow me on there. I'm all over the state. I still have a lot of events left before the primary, and I need your vote. Please vote for me August 4th and pray about who you're voting for. This is a crucial election. 2020 is very important for the For our state, but also for our nation. So get out and vote, tell people to do that, tell people about me, and let's get good leaders with
2: a spine in office. Sandra McDowell, we certainly appreciate your time. Hope to get a chance to talk to you again real soon.
0: I appreciate
2: it. Thanks, guys. All right, we've got to take a break, but we've got an entire second hour of the week of report coming up. Don't go anywhere. 971, I can talk.
1: time for your favorite show The Weekend Report is on the radio
2: Indeed, The Weekend Report is on your radio, and it is our number two of The Weekend Report. Thank you so much for tuning in. Tony Colombo and Frank Ladd here in studio. My partner, Chris Arps is connected to the Arps compound through the marvel of modern technology. Had a great first hour there. Just wrapped up a conversation with Sondra McDowell, who is running, uh, attempting to primary Governor Mike Parson in the Republican primary here in just a couple of weeks. If you missed that or anything that we talked about in that first hour, of course, you can get our podcast just about anywhere you get podcasts. But the Radio.com app is my preferred place because... You download the app, which is free. You favorite the radio station, and then you have access to everything. You can stream the station 24-7 no matter where you're at. You can rewind live radio, and you can download the podcast of this and every other show on the station all right there on the radio.com app. In just a few minutes, we're going to be talking to pollster Chris Wilson. Um, Very much looking forward to this conversation. Polls are such a headline-dominating thing. Um, people in the news and politics constantly tout polls that are on their side and discount polls that are against them and, uh, you know, use polls as headlines and talking points and all that sort of stuff. And uh, we're going to get into the inside of some of that stuff and and how it all works and, you know, how much stock people should be taking in these polls. Um, We saw, you know, some polls that very much missed the mark in 2016, 2018. So I
4: think the, the big question, though, is we're, we're easy to throw shade on polls and say, hey, they were wrong in 2016. They were wrong in the states. Nationally, they were pretty darn mm. accurate mm. For, for the popular vote. Right. They were they were essentially they were essentially right on on the popular vote. It was about a two percentage point win for Hillary Clinton. And it was a predicted to be about a three-percentage-point win for Hillary Clinton on most, if not all, of the polls within a very small margin of error. Right. So nationally, per the vote turnout, the pollsters nailed it. It was the three states big, of 77,000 really yeah. 77, total votes that they were off. So right. really, the error was very, very minor. Except... It was a b- except it, except in it, the end it, it, it was a, a different lot. person. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it it, it yeah. meant a lot, but statistically the error was right. a, was seventy seven thousand votes over the course of th- over three states. Yep. No, Frank, absolutely. you've
3: got to tell you've got to say that to Chris Wilson when he's on. Well, I
4: the- think both of you guys can say that to Chris. Wilson. <laughs> no, no.
3: I mean, you you you, you say it because you explained it, and, and it
4: well. I just think that, and I think that it is reaction that it's that. that it's easy to say. Well, Donald Donald Trump won, so the pollsters were wrong. But you look at the actual vote numbers, it was forty eight percent of the population voted for Hillary Clinton, forty six percent voted for Donald Trump, that's two percent. And the polls were predicting about a three percent
2: win for Hillary. That's all it was.
3: I know, I just I just want to hear Chris's
2: and I'm sure he'll have one. I'm sure he will have one. <laughs> you've, um, got
3: to, you've got to ask that.
2: So as, you know, cat's out of the bag, you know, I, we, I want to talk about Cardinal Baseball and opening day and everything. But as we are talking, as we're recording this, uh, the game hasn't happened yet. So please, you know, t- take that, keep that in mind. Um, I, <laughs> I so quit, Tony. We can't get into the details of what happened in the game <laughs> However, the question still stands, of course, is when the Cardinals announced this week, you know, obviously opening day happening at Bush Stadium. um, And we've talked, you know, at length on this show, especially with our friend Burgess Owens about uh, politics and sports and kneeling during the national anthem and the cardinals uh, announced this week that they were stenciling black lives matter on the pitcher's mound uh, chris what was your what was your thoughts uh, when the cardinals made that announcement and uh, were you for it or were you against it
3: look i have said i am against players kneeling for the national anthem if they do that on uh, on on the game mm-hmm. i'm done if they do it in the nfl i'm done I will compromise and allow BLM or Black Lives Matter on the mound. That's fine. I think the Cardinals did that because that's what their players wanted. I also think it was pressure from the league and pressure from the public to show their sensitivity uh, to the cause.
2: Here's, here's why I don't like it. I don't want to see Trump 2020 on the mound. I don't want to see libertarians rule on the mound. You know, I don't want to see any political...
3: Message. But you can't argue. But you can't argue against Black Lives Matter. I'm not. I mean, I'm not I,
2: arguing against. But, but, I'm not but arguing I, but against that's anything. What it,
3: but that's what. It, but that's what it looks like, Tony. I'm not. I, mean, ar,
2: just, I am it. arguing that politics and news and social anything messages.
3: But, but people will say Black Lives Matter is not a political message. It's a message that says do you, Black Lives Should Matter. That, do you that's believe that? Argument that? Do you believe no, that? No. No, it's, it's a, I mean, I think it started out as a slogan to show people's humanity that uh, all li- that black lives should matter. But I think it's turned into a, a political slogan, of course. I, have, I mean, trademark. I have no problem
2: with teams or players using the their platform to uh, speak at events or support political candidates or movements or anything that they want. I just will always think that it's very bad to mix that into the game and to put it on the field or to put it on the jerseys or to make a spectacle uh, during the national anthem. I I just think it's I think it's bad for business. I think it's bad for I, I think it takes away from the game. I think it takes attention off the players and the game and what sports are there to be, which is recreation a chance for people to get away from the real world for uh, a few hours and root for their team and and uh, you know rally behind their their team with people that may or may not line up with them politically. And when you start, when you start bringing all that in again, I, it, it doesn't matter the message. I just don't want to see it, and I think it's and I think it's bad for the game. And I think it's going to prove. I think over time you're going to see proof that it's bad for the game.
3: Well, I think I mentioned to you on the Dave Lover show, I think the horse is out of the barn on that. I think politics have injected themselves itself into sports. And The only thing that's going to change that, like I said earlier, is when it starts uh, affecting the bottom line, which I think it will. Sixty four percent of Americans said they are done with with watching football this season if the players kneel i am one of those yeah. um if they kneel during the baseball season and even though i miss baseball i will not be watching it i will be one of those
2: where are your where are your thoughts on this frank as a cardinals season ticket holder you know again it doesn't matter what your what the message is what do you think of bringing politics it's such a visible level into the game
4: i look at the kneeling and i say it's a three-hour ball game and it's 90 seconds for the longest national anthem mm-hmm. i looked at obviously watched the uh, the yankees and the uh the nationals their opening night on thursday and the blm on the back of the mound you had to look for it mm-hmm So So it wasn't,
2: it wasn't, uh, it it was, I mean, once it was there, but
4: but it's not like it glows. It's in, it's in black spray paint or ink or whatever the heck they're using on on the mound. It's down there on the mound right next to the, uh, the Roboski cleaner. Right. Right. And you look at it and then you forget about it. And but we talk about it right? Well, we talk no. about it on yeah. TV and all sure. station You talk about it on TV, but you know what? That that 60 seconds, 90 seconds of players kneeling at the start of the game out of a 3-hour game, that that little line at the bottom of, of of the screen that I'm not looking for or paying a, attention to because I'm watching the pitch, I'm watching the right. I'm not going to let that take the joy out of watching the people play the game at the highest level. What if it said blue lives matter? Same thing. I mean, but I'm not going to let that it, distract what, me from the game. What would the, the
2: conversation be nationally if a team wanted to support police and said, "We're going to put Blue Lives Matter on the mound"? It would be everybody would go crazy, right, sure. Chris? Sure. I, I oh, mean, of course, of
4: course they would. But you're asking about me as a fan watching yeah, no, the
2: game. no, no. I know.
4: There I know. you go. I'm All not right. going to let that 60 seconds and that little line i don't notice the crawl on the bottom of, of, of the screen from when i'm watching on espn what about I, I don't pay attention to it it's not a glaring shining light on me perhaps it should be but
2: currently it's not or maybe or maybe maybe you're better for it for not letting it bother you yeah. do you think it will um do you think it will have influence on a large segment of sports fans or do you think by and large people just are so ready for the games to come back. But... I'm going to
4: say, based on NASCAR's ratings, after they kneeled at the starting line and supported Bubba, yeah, those ratings were
2: up. Yeah, yeah, but the NFL ratings, ratings were, were up. down during the I, Colin well, Kaepernick situation. Problem
4: with the problem with that is that there's a lot more going on with the NFL on the outskirts. You've got players with issues. Right. You've got. I mean, you've got a whole lot of other. Not just the kneeling yeah. with the NFL. They had some other issues. There are a that lot more issues currently, and, and you don't have those issues in NASCAR, in the NHL, in Major League Baseball. You don't have the off-the-field stuff, which can cause people to also turn. There were a lot more issues throwing into the NFL at that time, in that period of time,
3: than there are with baseball and racing and the NHL. I think baseball is playing with fire when you have a league that is dominated by foreign players and you have these players that are millionaires because of their skill in the United States of America kneeling to the American flag. I think baseball is playing with fire. I think all of the sports are. I think
2: I think in the long – and think well, about this. Well, baseball has
3: been immune because they've kind of insulated themselves from all of this political and stuff I mentioned, and not, yeah, not uh, gotten involved with it.
2: And I mentioned this earlier in the week. Imagine how bad these teams and leagues look if it does hurt their ratings, if it does hurt television ratings, and it does hurt the revenue that's coming in, and then they make the decision— we don't want politics in the game anymore because it's hurting the bottom line. The How door's open and it's all and it's been open for years. I know but that's the play, what, but, the, but if the they try to close the door. Agree. If they try that, to close the, the, the door, it's going to look
0: terrible. Go
4: ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, Chris. Absolutely. no no, you're right, but I don't think they can close the door. Yeah. The they can't, they'll close the door, the door the if,
2: they're, if they're losing money, they'll try to close the door. Go ahead, Chris.
3: I'm saying the players have to agree to all of this in order for it to work. The 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 the, uh, the, the owners just can't make that unilateral decision without the players. Everyone has to be in, agree- in agreement that we have got to take politics out of the game to save the game and save the the golden goose.
2: While we're talking about sports, who else is really excited to see Mike Tyson fight? Not yeah. you? No? God, how old is he?
4: 54. 54. Oh, yeah, I 55. Yeah, I don't want to see Chris Arps fight at fifty four. I, I don't want to see Mike Tyson fight at fifty four. He's Seriously. fighting a fifty
2: one year old. I. Is, this is what boxing has come to. I, well, I'm not. I don't know if it's what is boxing's a, come to. It's what Tyson's come to. Is there an old man league in boxing? This is a straight up exhibition. This is terrible.
4: Tony, this is a straight Tony up exhibition. awful. He,
3: Tony was excited because he I'm saw him, like twenty seconds. Of I'm buying video the fight of Tyson looking like he did thirty years ago. You I'm see like, that video? Yeah, that's like twenty seconds, man. You see that, you that, that video? Three
2: He's what? But he's not fighting a 25-year-old
4: kid. He's fighting another 50-year-old. I, but seriously, for entertainment value for us, who wants to see that?
3: Me. Man. I'd watch it just Me. out of just watching a car wreck, Curiosity.
4: Spending $100 for a pay-per-view and then, Mike you know, Tyson. somebody uh, won't
2: last a round. Mike Tyson I is a fascinating, fascinating dude. Sure. This guy's been through. Fascinating. Interview him. He's been through. do put him in a ring to hit
3: somebody. This is just. Frank, that's done. your next task. Get us uh, Mike Tyson. Yeah,
2: Get us Tyson in time for the fight. <laughs> get us Tyson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, get us Tyson in time for the fight and uh, uh, get Roy Jones. Let's get them both in here. Exactly. Roy Jones Jr. and Tyson, and we'll put them nose to nose. We'll do our own little press conference before Sports the Sports Talk we'll one. one. There you go. I like and we'll it. we'll get you Sunday off. You guys are just grumpy. This is fun. Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. is gonna be fun,
3: dude. That's almost like watching like two dogs fight, or watching. You like, don't know cock that. Watching what if he's, paint dry.
2: What if he's great? What if he's what if he's capable of of hanging with the uh, with the current crop of heavyweights? You don't know that he might be able to, and that would be awesome.
3: Yeah. Okay. I <laughs> forgot right? you are a WWE fan. You are off so your right rocker. Your
4: Who's gonna win? <laughs> Tyson has it been scripted already? Tyson. Tyson's going to win. <laughs>
2: will the uh, manager come tough, in? He's a tough tough man. Will there be a steel chair introduced? Right? A foreign <laughs> object and will the referee one of them will bump the referee and the referee will fly across the ring like he's been shot and just lay down forever while Tyson gets brass mm. knuckles out and cheats. Little Nate. Yeah, there you nah, go. He's exactly. Seen this before. <laughs> All right. You guys are no fun. we got to take a break No, anyway. we're, we're realistic here. He's a
4: 54-year-old man. He should not be in a <laughs> boxing ring. It's A 51-year-old <laughs> man. It's should fine. be with a walker or something in an wait. old folks oh,
2: home. Oh, man. I wouldn't say that to his face. All right. got to take a break. But when we get back, we are going to talk to pollster Chris Wilson. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Weekend Report on 97.1 FM Talk.
1: She said if you love me, you lose a good day.
2: Welcome back to The Weekend Report, 97.1 FM Talk. Tony Colombo here in studio with Frank Ladd. My partner, Chris Arps, of course, also connected there at the Arps Compound. And as we mentioned in that last segment, joining us now on the phone is pollster Chris Wilson. Chris, um, I know that you and Chris go back. This is going to be an awkward interview with two Chrises, but but, uh, I know you and Chris go back sometimes. So uh, please introduce our guest. (laughs)
3: Yes, I am very honored and excited to talk to Chris Wilson. He's the president of WPA Intelligence. He's one of the premier pollsters in the country. He was the pollster for the 2016 Ted Cruz campaign. And with all of these polls that we've been seeing showing Joe Biden with a almost insurmountable lead, I'm glad that we're able to get Chris on, so he can kind of break down these numbers and uh, give some folks some a measure of hope, because it looks like this race is almost over. Yeah. Uh, welcome, Chris. Well, thanks, Chris. It's nice to have me. Uh, it's nice to talk to you again, and I appreciate you guys having me on. You bet.
2: So, Chris, as as, uh, as Chris was mentioning, we talked earlier in the show, and we also talked some on the Dave Glover show this week about polls, and we talked about this interview, and you know, previewing having you on. Um, Polls are one of those things that politicians and uh, the media will use for headlines and for talking points and they'll rally behind the polls that say what they you know what what supports their agenda and they will discount the uh, polls that don't say that and I think it makes it hard for a lot of people to know you know a lot of people watching TV listening to the radio. Uh, what to believe, what polls to listen to, what polls not to listen to. Everybody said that Hillary Clinton was going to, you know, win the presidency in a landslide and no poll or almost no poll showed Donald Trump winning. And so, you know, people thought, well, maybe polls don't mean anything. What is what we'll get into all the details in a second here. But what is the truth about polling and the accuracy in them?
5: Well, I, I do think polling gets a little bit of a bad rap. I mean, let's face it, in the 2016 election, if you, uh, Hillary Clinton did win the popular vote. And if you go look at some of the polling a- aggregation systems, uh, RealClearPolitics is a good one. Pollster.com is another good one. They almost all had Clinton winning by about three points, which is what she won the popular vote by. The challenge that existed in 2016 and the reason why nobody saw Trump winning um, nobody saw it as likely that Trump was going to win is there wasn't a lot of state level polls being done. And as you guys and your listeners, I'm sure are well aware, the presidency is decided by the Electoral College, and so just because Hillary Clinton may have run up the score in New York and California and other liberal states, Illinois, for instance, uh, and to be able to achieve that 3% win, it didn't account for the fact that she was going to lose Wisconsin, where there wasn't a lot of state-level polling going on, that she was going to lose Michigan, where, again, there wasn't a lot of state-level polling going on. Going on, and I could say the same thing about Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Florida, states that uh, Donald Trump won where there wasn't a lot of prediction about it. Now, if you go talk to candidates who were running for Senate, for instance, Pat Toomey in Pennsylvania, he will tell you that they had Donald Trump ahead going to the end. If you talk to Ron Johnson's campaign in Wisconsin, they had Donald Trump ahead going into the end. So the, the challenge that I think exists with uh, public polls is just money. Polls are expensive to do, and they become more and more expensive every time somebody shuts down their home phone and just lives mm-hmm. solely off of a cell phone. Uh, the kind of poll that I used to be able to do for my clients running for Congress for six to eight thousand dollars now costs thirty to forty thousand dollars. It's Ooh. not that my prices have gone up dramatically; it's that the cost of reaching people has gone up dramatically, mm-hmm. and so it becomes it is more expensive for a uh, for a media organization to do in a time whenever, let's face it, most media organizations are having all kinds of budget cuts. So it becomes a challenge. So they do the national polls. They do IVR, which is interactive voice recognition. A lot of people refer to them as robo-polls. They'll do random digit dial polls. They'll do polls of adults. They'll do polls of just registered voters. But the polls that matter, if one of you were running for office and you came and hired me, I would only do a poll of likely voters, that is, people who are going to vote. Because only about – I'm speaking generally, but only about 80% of people are registered to vote, and even in a presidential election, only about 80% of those who are registered actually do vote. So if you're only ta- if you're talking to adults, you're looking at 40% of the universe that isn't even going to vote as part of your overall interviews. And uh, that's why it is important to make sure that you're talking to exactly the right person, and, and there's just not a lot of media polls that do that. But the internal campaign polls saw what was coming and were likely to get their predictions right.
2: Yeah. You know what, Chris, we got to give credit to Frank. He was we do. he was right on the money. Our our producer was uh, we were previewing this conversation, Chris, and our producer said uh, basically exactly what you just said about the national <laughs> polls being right on. And it was just a few states that that missed it. Uh, Chris Harps, go ahead.
3: Yeah. Chris, how much stock do you put in this theory that there are secret Trump voters out there that the polls are not picking up. You picked up a little bit on it uh, where you said that the landlines are almost non-existent in homes now and people are going to their cell phones, which makes it harder to reach voters. But do you put any stock into there's a secret uh, Trump voters out there that the polls are just not reaching? Yeah, like a silent majority kind of thing.
5: <clears throat> you know, I, it's um, there is a – technical term for this, and it goes back to polling being off in England. It's called the shy Tory effect. And then there was, uh, it was kind of repeated here in the United States and what was referred to as the Bradley effect. And that'll be more uh, more relevant to your listeners in that the mayor of Los Angeles, who happened to be an African-American, was running for governor. And all the polling over predicted where he would end up, and so they called it the Bradley effect. People felt as if there was a social desirability bias uh, that pushed them to say they were voting for Bradley when they really were not. I can tell you I have not experienced, uh, we refer to this internally as sort of the the shy Trump illusion. I have not experienced in our polling a a, any sort of uh, indication that there is a percentage of the electorate that is either one afraid to say they're voting for Trump or two afraid to answer polling because they are voting for Donald Trump. It's, um, if it existed in 2016 and I know there are a few pollsters, uh, one in particular who was very uh, active on Twitter this morning talking about how they predicted things right in 2016. And if you look at, Nate Silver does a, uh, a rating of pollsters and, he gives everybody A, B, Cs, and Ds, which I think is kind of silly. But what he does that, that, that is actually <laughs> valuable is he does an analysis of all the publicly released polls from a company and then does a statistical rating of whether they, they're polling leans Republican or leans Democrat. And now, a poll like uh, for a company like mine doesn't release many public polls. We may release ten or eleven a cycle. The reason for that is we don't do public polling. Our polling is done for clients, and it's up to them whether or not to release them. And guess what? They're going to release the ones that they show them right. winning. They're not going to release right. the ones that show them losing. That's <laughs> sure. right. uh, you know, it's just kind of the way it works. They spend a bunch of money on something, but this uh, some firms release all their polls. They just do media polls, and they do it for attention. And so I think what you'll find is is those polls that in twenty. 16 have sort of a revisionist history story of, well, we discovered how to identify the child Trump voter, all of them, to a firm. Have a Republican leaning bias. Now there are plenty of firms with Democrat leaning bias. Uh, there's PPP. If you ever see it with something coming out from them, take yeah. five points off the Democrat.
3: I mean, it's just I it's, totally so discount them. Yeah.
2: So Chris, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you I'm, I'm glad you bring that up. Uh, and I don't mean to cut you off, but I want to get to a, a few more things here as we you know before we run out of time. But it, that's such a good point. We're talking to pollster Chris Wilson and uh, Chris Arps pointed out earlier um, when we were talking about this about uh, looking at the sample. Size And if you look into some of these polls, you'll see things like, well, there was only 22, only 22 percent of the people that participated in this poll were registered Republicans. What are some things that people can look for in a particular poll to know the validity of it or the truth behind it? Because. The truth is, as you know, a lot of people are just going to see the poll flash up on television and they're just going to either believe it or not believe it and move on. But is there a way to kind of look into these polls and know, you know, the details and and how valid they are?
5: You know, the only real one I can point to is just who they're talking to. Are they looking at adults? If they're looking at adults, don't pay attention. If they're looking at registered voters, if they're just talking to registered voters, don't pay attention. Are they talking to likely voters? That is the key thing. Likely voters are the people who say they're going to vote. There's still some. There is still some uh, error built into that. There are things that we do to account for that, but. Having said that, that's probably the easiest thing that your listeners can do. Look for polls of likely voters. And I do think it's one of the reasons why Rasmussen ends up being more accurate uh, than a lot of the public polling. And they get a lot of criticism because they tend to lean Republican, but they talk to likely voters. And in past elections – this was not true in 2018, mind you – but in past elections, Republicans have been more likely to turn out than Democrats have. It was certainly true under Obama from 2008 uh, – 2010, uh, 2014. you know, Republicans turned out at much greater numbers than Democrats did. So that's the key difference, I think, is that is a quick thing your 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 listeners could do to uh, discern a, a good poll versus a bad one, is looking at who the sampling is. If it's likely voters keep paying attention. If it's not, probably look away.
3: Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Chris. Chris, I wasn't going to mention your competitor, Rasmussen, but because you did, <laughs> I'll bring them up. Um, they have released a poll that shows uh, Donald Trump from ranging from 30 to 40 percent – african-american support are you seeing that and uh, are you seeing any increase of african-american support for the president Whew. that would be those numbers are big
5: yeah that's uh, no i have not seen that uh chris to be <laughs> candid with you in fact quite the contrary i feel like mm. it is uh when particularly when you look at the economy that exists i i do believe that pre-covid we saw some pretty good trump numbers with african-americans in certain states but that the Problem, as you're well aware, is is that with unemployment going up, whereas a rising tide making lift all boats, a uh, a tide that's going to bottom out is going to bottom out other boats faster. And so what we have seen is African Americans. I had seen numbers where African Americans were giving, were approving of Trump on the economy in those sorts of numbers, but I hadn't seen any voting in those numbers. Now that having been said. One thing Donald Trump doesn't get much credit for is he actually received a larger percentage of the African-American vote than Mitt Romney or John McCain did. Mm-hmm. And the question is, is he able to improve on what he did in 2012? And I, I think it's still too early to say that. And one of the first questions that you all asked whenever you got me on the air was, uh, how are things right now? Are they hopeless? And the the thing that we have to keep in mind is, look, it's July. And the world has the ability to change a lot, but there's no question that due to the uh, slumping economy and the challenges created through COVID-19, and uh, the racial rights are going right on right now. It, the president has taken a lot of hits, and it's there's time to come back. But it's uh, it's certainly a challenging electoral
2: cycle right now for Republicans. Only a couple minutes left, Chris, but I want to highlight on that. When is it? The time to like what are when do we get to that line where, like you just said, it's July. When do polls really start to matter and what polls should we be looking for?
5: well really after Labor Day I'd say are the ones that matter uh, is whenever things start to take shape and, and it uh, and so let's, let's think of the, what could happen if there is a, a vaccine that is released to the public in October that's mm. like the ultimate October surprise If mm-hmm. the stock market is up around 30,000 then the economy is coming back if unemployment starts to drop and it's back down in the single digits uh, you guys live in Missouri I live in Oklahoma and Oklahoma our, our unemployment rate here is still only in the single digits about six percent just pretty remarkable Missouri's done well too I think Governor Parsons has done fantastic job and you guys in St. Louis have great representation there and Congresswoman Ann Wagner you guys in some cases are uh, immune to some of the things that are going on nationally but you're also in the eye of the storm in other er ways and so I do think uh, it is important that some of the challenges that have come across, that, have come across uh, that we would have never predicted in January or February that have defined 2020, if those still exist in, in October, November, then to be problem, problematic for the president. But if they go away, then it, looks, it resets, and you've got to think back. And Before COVID-19, Donald Trump was doing very well against Joe Biden in the polls.
2: Sixty seconds left with pollster Chris Wilson. Got a last quick one for him, Chris?
3: I I do. Chris, you said it. You're in Oklahoma. Are you looking at uh, the governor's race here in Missouri at all? A poll came out showing the race neck and neck. Uh, What's your thoughts?
5: Uh, I think that that poll was a bad poll, and I I think the governor there is doing a fantastic job, and I predict he'll be reelected by probably double digits.
2: Oh, there you go. Wow. Yeah, Chris Wilson. I'm not uh, working for him. Let me just say that. I'm not working (laughs) for him. (laughs) You mentioned that most of your polls are private polls, and you only release uh, a few public ones. If people do want to learn more about the way that you do things or check out those public polls that you do release, how can people find out more about you and your company?
5: WPAintel.com. So then WPA Intelligence, just WPAintel.com.
2: That is pollster Chris Wilson. Thanks for your time today, sir. We'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you for having me on. You bet. That is it. You bet. Thank you. That is a guy, Chris, that we need to have on in the future as we get closer and closer to the election. Um, That's the kind of guy that you want to talk to because, um, like we said earlier, polls, you never know what to expect. And uh, it's good to get the truth behind some of those things. That's good stuff.
3: Known him 15 years.
2: Yeah, good stuff. All right, we need to take another quick break. Don't go anywhere. We are going to talk to Dr. Matt Bosha from New Creation Dental Care. When we get back, you're listening to the Weekend Report on 97.1 FM Talks.
1: You were a player from the start.
2: To the Weekend Report, 971 FM talk. Tony Colombo in studio here with Frank Ladd and Chris Arps. And listen, I'm going back to, going to talk to Doctor Bosa here in one second. But I just want you guys to see this twenty-second video. I know you can't see it, Chris. Look at this man, Frank. We're going back a couple segments. Mike Tyson. Mm-hmm. Look at this video. <laughs> Look at this video. Look at this video. Look at this man.
4: Yeah, that, that's for like two at seconds at a time. Look at this How man. How long are these rounds? These are in tidy whities Look at this man. It's all sped up. That's not real.
2: Oh, look at this man. That ain't
4: real, Chris. It's not real.
3: Like an Xbox game.
2: He's back. He's ready. He's Tyson. Nope. I'm looking forward to this. He, you know, he's he 54, Tony. He look. He's fighting a 51 year old. He's gonna. I know. It's gonna be great.
3: I, I'm 54. Trust I understand,
2: me. but you're not Mike Tyson. And, I could edit you to look like Mike Tyson, like that video. And I don't know if you've seen him recently, Frank. He looks Mike Tyson looks like Chris Arps, except for Wait the body. Except for the body, he's got the shaved. He's got the shaved head. He's got the gray beard. Look at him. He looks like Chris Arps. He's got the. He's got the He same could be look. your brother, Chris. huh. Same he could face be. tattoo. No, you know you don't have the same face tattoo, but the <laughs> shaved head and the gray beard. And I'm telling you, you look good. He looks good. He's ready to go. I don't know about you, but whatever. All right, we got to get to Doc. as i mentioned in that last segment joining us now on the phone is my dentist dr matt bosha from new creation dental care always great to talk to doc how are you my friend hey i'm doing great buddy how are you tony doing all right we're having an argument about mike tyson i'm excited about mike tyson (laughs) i'm excited about him coming back i'm excited about this exhibition against roy jones jr he's 54 but Roy Jones Jr. is 51 so it's not like he's trying to all get right. in there with a 25 year old I think it's a lot of fun these two guys are <laughs> like a wet blanket all over the whole thing I, it's I don't know I pay to see it yeah <laughs> right just, exactly just to, yeah we'll yeah, get together for, doc you well, and I'll get together and we'll we'll watch the fight I'm looking forward to it so I, I would say just just to see the spectacle I'd be in for it I'd be up for <laughs> yeah it. absolutely absolutely <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I I I'm in I'll pay for the yeah. fight you and I'll get together I'm looking forward to right. it So, uh, yeah, it's always great to have you on, Doc. People that have been listening for a long time, you know, have heard me talk about how great uh, you and your staff out there have been for our entire family. Um, I don't know where you want to start. The one great thing about uh, New Creation and uh, the, uh, uh, the services that you've set up out there is that there's so many services that you offer. So many things to talk about. Sleep apnea, fast braces, implants. All of it. Where Where do you want to start? And, and is there anything new happening at New Creation Dental Care?
6: Yes. Big, big news at our practice, New Creation Dental Care. We have uh, hired another dentist. So we have a nice. second dentist now in the office. Uh, her name is Dr. Jennifer Allen. Uh, some people uh, might know her as Dr. Jennifer, Jennifer Soprich. She uh, recently got married, and so she's going through the name change. So she's going to be Dr. Jennifer Allen at our office. Yeah. And uh, she's a graduate of uh, Southern Illinois University, uh, just like I. Uh, that's where I went. And uh, she is a phenomenal person. You know, I'm I'm, I'm somebody that's pretty. Uh, I don't know. I'm. I'm pretty. Uh, if you want to call it uh, anal, I don't know what you want to call it, but uh, you know, I better be somebody that's going to be very, um, well, very particular about who yes. I, who I pick. You know, and I
2: and, and and I can back that up too, because one of the great things, as I've talked about this many times on the radio, one one of the other, you know, many things that I think sets you apart from the rest is, you know, you're not a corporately owned uh, practice Correct. like we see yeah. in so many places. And, you know, since I've been bringing my family there and, and you know, and, and been in the office and watch you with other patients, it's it's you have a relationship with all your patients. You know, the families and you know, the people and you, you know, you know, their names, not just what number appointment they are that day. And yeah. so for you to bring somebody in, I, I'm, you know, I'm sure that they have all those same values and you make sure that that they do before you would ever bring somebody else into the practice. So I'm, I'm yeah, sure there was a vetting process that was uh, uh, very detailed.
6: Yeah. Well, I had resisted um, doing that for a long time, um, just be- because you know I-, I wasn't sure I'd be able to find somebody that would be able to do things the you know and treat people the way that I wanted them treated, and and just have the same um, dedication to quality that 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 I that I have and expect here at the office and um, um, she has shown me that she is going to be definitely that person. Um, She is just a delightful person to be around. She is um, just really uh, has a great personality and and a fantastic clinician. Uh, So everybody here in the office um, you know, they're, they're all skeptical about who who's going to come in and work right, and sure. they've all been blown away by her already. So, um, so patients are going to respond really, really, really well to her. So we're all very excited. She's, uh, her first day is going to be with us is going to be August the 4th. Um, uh, so just right around the corner here and, uh, yeah, she'll be in three days a week. So she'll work for us three days a week. And, uh, that's actually allowing us now to be a open five days a week. So oh, we'll be excellent. open now instead of being four days, we'll be five days. And uh, we'll – our Wednesdays, instead of being 10 to 7, we're going to be 7 to 7 now. And, uh, Mm. yeah, we've got hours and everything.
2: Yeah, you just answered my next question because before, you know, the pandemic and all the weirdness happened, one of the other uh, great things about New Creation was you were able to get early morning appointments or evening appointments so you could work around kids' schedules and your work schedule and not have to take time off to go um right. and so you guys are are getting are back to uh, a a normal schedule there
6: yep that's right yeah so yeah exactly i mean we've been i mean my goodness we've been so crazy busy uh we've um we've we have 4 days a week now that we're open at 7am so start, starting first Ooh. first week of august we'll have 4 days a week we'll be open at 7am and then uh we'll have 2 days where we'll we close at 7 um 7pm 7 so our Tuesdays and Wednesdays we close at 7 That's but, fantastic. Yeah, 4 days a week we'll open at 7am so it's uh it's uh, exciting times here. A lot of a lot of change and a lot of good things. And um, so, she's uh, she's going to really make things uh, uh, really great here at our practice. Even so better.
2: We only have a few minutes left, Doc. And there's like sure. I said, so many things that we could talk about. You know, the yeah. the sleep apnea treatment that has changed my life so much and had such a, a positive effect on me. And my daughter and my mom went through the fast braces. And every time I, I I'm in the building there, there's just new. Uh, state-of-the-art, amazing technology that you are utilizing there at New Creation. Could you just talk uh, for a minute about some of that uh, that technology that you have in the office and how you're able to use that to benefit your patients?
6: Yeah, the the, the really neat technology is what we're uh, what we're doing with implants and uh, and dental implants. And we, we, for instance, we had a patient in yesterday that uh, she uh, she had about I think seven or eight teeth left um, on the upper arch, and uh, we uh, were able to remove those, re- remove those teeth and put in um, uh, about six implants, and then we attached a um, kind of like a, a big restoration to those implants so that when she walked out, she had teeth that were secured in place. It was kind of screwed in place, so to speak, and uh, she walked out with that. Now, we did all that we planned all that beforehand um, with uh, the technology that we have here in the office and with the technology that we have at a, at a lab. So we have digital technology, um, CAT scan technology that, that scans all of that, and then software that, that we can utilize um, that d- helps us to digitally place implants into into the into her bone on on a screen (laughs) so we know exactly where those implants are going to go i've seen it from that yeah
2: i've seen it in person it is it is incredible i mean it is it is amazing technology and the fact that you can do all of that there in your office you don't have to go see specialists make referrals all that kind of stuff is just a tremendous advantage for your patients and so just so i'm clear um when we get Mike Tyson on the show and he comes in the studio and Chris Arps and Chris Arps calls him an old man and Tyson knocks Uh-oh. his teeth out Chris can come get his teeth put back in by you after Tyson <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's going to need somebody, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> because... <laughs> so, Doc, before we let you go, uh, how can people find you, uh, social media, websites, all that good stuff, if they want to take your family to New Creation, as I do? And I certainly cannot uh, recommend you anymore. Uh, if, if you're looking for you a dentist much. for you and your family, um, New Creation's is a place to go. How do people find you, Doc?
6: Uh, best way is uh, newcreationdentalcare.com. That's our website. And then uh, our phone number is 636-625-1225. And, of course, New Creation Dental Care. We're on, we're on Facebook, and I've got a nice little spot about uh, Dr. Allen on there as well. So check her out and see what we're all about. So, Dr. Yeah.
2: Matt Bosh, New Creation awesome. Dental Care, thanks for your time. Thanks for everything you do for us here on the show on the radio station, and I look forward to talking to you again soon.
6: Yeah, you too. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you.
2: And that is going to do it for another edition of The Weekend Report. If you missed anything, download the podcast on the Radio.com app. We release that podcast each and every week. Uh, You can get the podcast anywhere, but the Radio.com app is the place to go. You can stream the station 24-7. You can rewind live radio with the Radio Rewind feature. And you can, of course, download the podcast of this and every other show on the station all right there on the Radio.com app, which is absolutely free For our producer, Frank Ladd, and my partner, Chris Arps, I'm Tony Colombo. Thank you so much for listening to another edition of The Weekend Report. We'll see you back here next week on 97.1.